Dotnet Rocks episode 693 with guests Nat Friedman and Miguel Diacaza. Recorded live Friday, August 26th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. It's Carl. It's Richard. We're here. You're all here. We're fine. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> the Star Wars reference. You I know. love that. We love it. Yeah. How's it going, man? Uh, you know, I'm not complaining. It's summertime. I have barbecued everything. You know, what is what is a good summer for me? I've done ribs. Yeah. Done pulled pork. I did brisket. So I'm done. Thanks for playing. Well, you know, and now we're like geek chefs because of Grape City's yes. uh, support. I I have I'm I'm in a lamb mood, you know. Because yes. I did the gro- the grilled lamb. Well, I did a lamb stew the other day. Oh, nice! Oh my God, this is the next this is the next recipe for for the Grape City Cookbook. Oh, you knocked it out of the park, did you? Oh my God! So that's a winter time for for me of the stews, right? Yeah, With the crock well, pot slow cooking. You know, hurricane winter time. Yeah, it's sort of all the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess hurricanes. Yeah, winter time. during the hurricane during Hurricane Irene, I made lamb stew. Nice, and it was wonderful. Oh, awesome. And we still okay. don't have power, so. <laughs> I, you know, so my new recipe that's going to go into the, uh, the book is I finally was able to make a reasonable representation of my wife's cornbread that goes with the ribs. Oh. So she, her cornbread's brilliant. So I've, I've got it close enough now that I feel like I can put the recipe in the book and be legitimate about it. Remind me to tell you about the Shack's cornbread sometime. Uh, good. Good cornbread, good. All right. Moving Let's, on. Let's uh, get into Better Know Framework, because, you know, that's why we're here. Yeah. To educate you. To educate you. Now, this framework you've been talking about lately, it seems really HTML5-y. Yeah, it's really HTML5, and I've, I've thought about renaming this or something like that, to, but whatever. It's stuff you need to know in digestible spurts. How's that? Nice. That doesn't have a nice ring to it, but we can use the same theme music. All right. <laughs> I know that's the important part. So, so I'm talking about HTML5 tags, and mm-hmm. this one that I'm talking about today is the command tag. Oh. And the command tag, only supported in IE and Safari, defines a command button, like a radio button, a checkbox, or a button. Nice. Well, why, you say? We already have an input tag that very nicely defines that. I thought the same thing. And then I went looking to see what other people are talking about it. And on Stack Overflow, the question, what exactly is the HTML5 command tag and what is the browser support? Because someone was just as confused as I am. Why right. do we need yet another tag to do the same thing? And the answer, the first answer was really good. Uh, it's, it's meant to be an abstraction to let you refer to the same command for multiple menu entries or buttons. Very XAML-like. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. So, and they have a little uh, a thing here in, a- in the answer that has the command and, uh, and an on-click that defines, you know, what JavaScript method gets called. And then inside, uh, or after that command tag, you have an input tag with a command attribute. The command equals whatever. 
and then you have a menu. So there's three ways to do the same thing. The menu tag, which I'll talk about next. Well, anyway, go look it up. It's a it's an abstraction so that you can refer to it multiple times. Um, not still not quite sure, you know, how useful it's going to be in the real world, but people are talking about it. Nice. Yeah. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 684. So uh, that was the show with Pete Brown where we talked about Silverlight and all the other geeky things that were going on there. Yeah. Uh, and this comment's from Patrick Hines, and he says, This is my first comment, I believe, so let me do the usual. The show is uh-huh. awesome, has been formative in shaping me as a developer. I listen daily. Thanks for doing it. Stop and I'll cry. <laughs> now on to the content. <laughs> I, that was a pretty good little summary there. It's Patrick good. Hines, right. of course, our first guest on .NET Rocks. Yeah, I'm going from memory, so I hope I remember this one right. I listen in the car, and it's hard to post comments from there. And please don't, because we don't want you to die. Uh, but I heard this podcast yesterday. One thing stood out to me. A comment was made that in times past, the barrier to entry for development was much smaller. You had to be a programmer because the OS required it. The barrier in Windows development that was suggested is, in my mind now, not really there, mm. considering the following command at the command line in Windows 7. P.S. Space. Double quote, console dot right line bracket, double quote, hello world, double quote, close bracket, double quote. <laughs> you know, he could just write a batch file that says echo hello. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> PS is PowerShell, so he's bringing up a valid point. There's some .NET involved in there. Right. Uh, now, let me caveat that for some reason my workplace hates PowerShell, so we don't have it and I rarely use it. While I probably messed up the syntax, the general point is we do have the capability to write code at the command line. Visual Studio 2010 Express, PowerShell, free, great tools abound. Mm. Yeah. Almost everyone has a computer, and free development tools are everywhere. I think the barrier to entry is now much lower than it was then. The biggest barrier these day, back then was finding a computer. True. Yeah, I guess, I mean, most people don't even know the command line's there, Patrick, so yeah. there's, there's a battle to be had there. But you bring up a valid point. I will concede it to you right there. Yep. And uh, if you want to tell us how we're wrong or uh, bring up some ideas for new shows or just want to tell us how much you like it, uh, talk to us a little bit more detail, some ideas we can dig into, just anything you want to say, write us a comment on the website at dotandrocks.com. And or, a mug is going to you, Patrick, as soon as I can find you. Or if it's, yeah, or if it's not in context with a show, you can email us at dotnetrocks at franklins.net. And, you know, if you've got suggestions for another Geek Out show or whatever... You know, we're listening to that too. We're all about that. And we've, we've collected those up. There's been a few. Yeah. Uh, the electric car show is on my list. We'll do it. By the way, the Franklin Brothers album, Lifeboat to Nowhere is available awesome. at franklinbros.com. Get it. It's really good. Well, Richard, uh, something interesting is going on at Build and, uh, here to tell us about it is Mr. Billy Hollis. Billy, what's up? Hey, gentlemen. Well, when I heard that the pre-cons had been canceled, I decided I would substitute one of my own, one that is more widely applicable no matter what they have to say at Build. So I uh, have been doing sessions on universal design principles and prototyping processes and other things that you really need if you're going to leverage some of the advanced user interface technologies that people are probably going to be seeing at Build. That is, Build is really about that stuff. So what are you covering in your pre-con? I'm covering design principles that that developers usually are not aware of, things that 
are based on user psychology and visual perception and how mm. colors work and how animation works, things like that. And also, how you go about applying these principles in a prototyping process that will help you break loose from all the stuff that people have been doing for a long time that isn't really an optimal result based on the kinds of technologies that we have available to us now. So whether you're developing in HTML5 or XAML or WinForms, these things apply? That's right. Any technology can use these principles. The more advanced technologies like HTML5 and XAML, they're even more important. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, I'm not really going to be talking about technology. I'm really going to be talking about things that anybody developing new user experiences ought to know about. Well, where can we read more about this and sign up for it? You can go to billyhollis.com slash bill and get some more information on the conference, and there's a registration link. The quick basics are it's in a hotel next door to the convention center on the day that the pre-cons were going to be held, which is September 12th. And there's a registration fee of 50 bucks, mostly just because I have limited space, and I want to make sure that if people register, that they're actually coming. That's great. Awesome. That's awesome. That our good folks at Telerik are uh, sponsoring this, and so we're collaborating on this. You'll see them there, and they're going to have some nice giveaways. Uh, and we're going to have some fun. I mean, I really want to emphasize that. These yeah. sessions that I do are just a blast. <laughs> I bet. So if you're going to be at Build, and you're there the day before on Monday, maybe you signed up for a pre-con that got canceled, you can come to Billy's unofficial pre-con. That's right. And you don't actually have to attend Bill to sign up for this. Right. If you're in Southern California or you can get there, you're welcome to come and and register. Well, I can't wait for it, Billy. I'll be there. Well, it's going to be fun. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye, guys. Well, this is a really ridiculously exciting show for me, Richard, because uh, Miguel Diacaza is back and uh, he is now the CTO of Xamarin. So Miguel has directed the Mono project since its creation in 2001 and oversaw the launches of Mono's desktop, server, and mobile offerings at Novell. Before Mono, he started writing free software in 1992 and co-founded the Gnome project, that's G-N-O-M-E, in 1997. In 99, Miguel co-founded Zimian with Nat. He also worked on the Midnight Commander file manager, Numeric, and the Linux kernel. He serves as an advisor at Stack Exchange. He's received the Free Software Foundation 1999 Free Software Award, the MIT Technology Review Innovator of the Year Award in 1999, and was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Innovators for the New Century in September 2000. Uh, Nat Friedman is also here. He is the CEO of Xamarin. Uh, An entrepreneur and developer, Nat is passionate about building products that delight customers, with love and attention to detail. Couldn't have said it better myself, Nat. Nat has two degrees from MIT and has been writing software for 27 years. In 1999, he co-founded Zimian with Miguel, and Nat was a co-founder and chairman of the Gnome Foundation. At Novell, Nat ran engineering for a $110 million product and served as CTO of the Linux business. Nat is an avid traveler who visited 20 countries in 2010, an active angel investor, and a private pilot. Now, we got another show for you to be on. 
(laughs) (laughs) You're talking about uh, all stuff that uh, Richard is really passionate about. Well, welcome, guys. And um, some changes have been happening around around .NET and mobility and mono and all that great stuff. Who wants to catch us up on what's happened with you guys? Miguel, you want to take it away? So... It's been uh, it's been fascinating because we we started the we started Mono a few years ago because we wanted to get the same sort of a, a rapid development and benefits that .NET had for at the time efforts on the Linux desktop and uh, and and what has happened is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a fascinating transformation uh, now all of us are running around with, with these tiny computers and. Um, and some of them are programmed with Java, and some of them are programmed with Objective C. And uh, and we felt that there was a very natural path for Mono to uh, to grow. We uh, we brought Mono, we brought .NET with it to um, to the iPhone and, and the Android platforms. So it's um, it's fascinating because when when we were building apps for the Linux desktop, we could point to some three or four large apps uh, that people had built and. You know, a couple twenty or thirty smaller apps that people had built for uh, on the desktop, but they were not, you know, very significant. And what has happened with the with the mobile space is just incredible. Uh, this is measured in the thousands of of developers, and, and the users are measured in the millions. Um, so we were we knew that the that the space was hot, but it wasn't until we started building uh, Mono for 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 iPhone and Android that we realized just how hot this thing was mm. and uh, how exciting this uh, mobile space was. It's um, unlike the desktop that is kind of a, you know, we're, we came from the Linux world, but unlike the desktop that is, uh, that is dominated by, uh, by Microsoft and Apple, uh, the, uh, the mobile space is very heterogeneous and there's all kinds of, it, 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 it feels a little bit like the Wild West. So many things are about to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. There and um, and want to bring .NET. Uh, we want to bring .NET and um, and bring your code all over that uh, all over those devices. I guess uh, I guess that's uh, that's a little bit of uh, how we feel about about this. So we all heard the news um, a little while ago that uh, no, that Novell was sort of uh, scrapping the Mono project, and we didn't really know what was going on. Um, any, anything you want to tell us? This can you tell us the story about what happened? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what happened was Novell. Um, you know, we, we had internally uh, discussed at Novell that the Mono project was not really aligned with the enterprise and IT focus that Novell had at the time, and uh, and Novell had been working on Linux on the server, a little bit of Linux on the desktop for enterprise users. And while this was happening, uh, Mono started to shine in the mobile space. It started to have a, uh, it, happened, it started to have this growth that I just described, uh, mm-hmm. a very big growth in, in the mobile world. And that wasn't really, and, and that's really a developer play. And, uh, and it wasn't really aligned with what Novell wanted to do. They wanted to do, um, you know, more of this Cloud and management and compliance story, identity, resource management. These things are very, very, very heavy uh, enterprise businesses. So you're basically, so, they didn't see mobile mobile coming? Uh, 
it's not that it's not timing, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's important to keep focus in your company. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you, can't really, you can't really try to do everything at once and hope to do a good job there. So yeah. there was already talks, even before any of this happened, of uh, spinning Mono into a separate company. Because it was, it was for the Salesforce and for the marketing people and, and the Linux server people, a little bit of a distraction. And, um, and if you think about it, uh, it was a distraction. I mean, we couldn't get, uh, you know, the Linux guys were doing their press release about something. Um, it could interfere with, uh, with something that we were doing. And there's so much press you can brief at the same time. So, um, so there were discussions about spinning Mono off. Uh, yeah. I'm just to just to keep focus, and I think I and I think that that is the right strategy. To be honest, uh, you know, if, if you were yeah. to ask what would the Steve Jobs do, Steve Jobs would definitely cut projects that were not core to your business or were not, uh, you know, or were distracting you. So there was a little bit of talk of that, and then the uh, you know this whole almost a year long process of the of the that started with a bid from a from a finance firm the actual sale of Novell, mm. that kind of put things on hold. It made it difficult during this process for, I don't really understand the regulations, but, you know, it made it difficult for the company to spin this off uh, because it could be construed, I guess, as, you know, you're selling piece of the company that I'm right. trying to buy. So this didn't really happen. And the new owners, um, I think that they continue with the execution of uh, Mono was a little bit of a distraction uh, for their core business. Um, you know, they want to go into, into the businesses that Novell was. And, and Mono is a developer story. Mono is not really a, uh, Mono is, uh, Mono is not really part of a, yeah. uh, of a bigger enterprise story. Well, it, it's just weird because, you know, Microsoft has always had the, the idea, and rightly so, that developers make a platform. So Novell, I guess, didn't have that philosophy? Or is it because they couldn't monetize it? I mean, obviously, you, you're, um, that's what you're doing now. Um, I go to Xamarin.com right. and it's buy now. It's this is right. a real so, product. We're 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 selling to developers, right? Mm-hmm. And Novell was selling to people in the IT group, right? They were selling to the system administrators, the yeah. CIOs. So it's a different it's a different sale, different and, market. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know, you you can have you can't really have sales guys, uh, the same sales guy that talks to a CIO to talk to the CTO. Um, or, or, you know, I, I, I think it's a matter of focus, and, and I understand where they were going from. So uh, the effective, uh, effective effect of money that they laid us off, and I think that you can argue whether it was good strategic or bad strategic. Um, so you and, went, you, you know, so you got back together with your Zimian folks, called it Xamarin, and now you're open for business. Tell, tell us about what what's the difference between uh, Mono, the free product, and and uh, Mono Touch and Mono for Android and the things that you're now selling at Xamarin. Right. Well, I think the most important thing uh, is that, I mean, we wanted to create a company, and we, 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 we did get the pieces together, and we're starting to look at, uh, at getting the team back. I'm grateful for the whole team to kind of waiting with us uh, to get the company started instead of just, you know, uh, running to another company. But... One very important event happened when uh, I needed some help, um, you know, launching the company. I, I was doing this with Joseph Hill, and mm-hmm. uh, we needed all the help we can get. So I called Nat on the phone, and um, and Nat, why don't you tell them what happened afterwards? Because this is a very important event for Xamarin. Oh well, 
my wife and I had spent the previous year traveling, and um, Miguel and I had, were, were best friends, and we'd been in touch you know, pretty continuously, and so I'd been following the saga of trying to spin mono out of Novell, and uh, I, I learned about it when we were in India, and then we went to Uganda, and I heard more about it there, and then finally uh, this event occurred where this company, Attachmate, with the help of a bunch of bankers, bought Novell, and the acquisition completed, and it became clear that mono wasn't strategic to them, and, and Miguel called me, and my wife and I were actually in Florida at the time. We just watched the shuttle launch, the second to last one, which is really amazing. There's a great side and, story going on here about traveling. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so there we are. We're in, yeah, we're in Florida, and we drove all night to see the shuttle launch. So we're exhausted. It's launched, and we're about to go to sleep. And Miguel, I get a text message from him. I said, call me urgently. I need some advice. And he had a bunch of questions about you know, how to get a company spun up. And, and we had done Zimian together before. Um, I had been CEO of Zimian, and... Uh, we were the two founders, and we raised some money, and we built an incredible team, and we were really, really successful in Linux, and uh, had sold the company to Novell a few years later. And that, you know, so we had sort of this shared history. You know, we worked together mm-hmm. before, and it had gone well. And so Miguel reached out to me, and you know, we we had a series of phone conversations over the next week. And my wife and I flew down to the Cayman Islands, and we were scuba diving off the north wall of Grand Cayman. And then, you know, after about three or four days of this this conversation. I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I think um, I think we might have to go to Boston. She said, why? I said, well, Miguel wants me to join as CEO, and I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun. She said, okay, we can do that. When when do we leave? And I said, oh, we have to leave tomorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like Sunday, and uh, she said, can we go Wednesday? And I said, okay, we can go Wednesday. <laughs> so that was uh, May 25th. Uh, Miguel had the mono team had been laid off on May 2nd. I think on May 12th or 16th, Miguel had announced you know, that Xamarin was going to be formed. And on May 25th, I was on a plane up to Boston um, with my wife, and I sat down and on the plane, and I said, okay, what are we going to need to accomplish? And I wrote out a plan, and um, I landed, and I think we had our first meeting with a bunch of lawyers one hour after I landed. And it's been basically nonstop since hmm. then. <laughs> so it's been, what is it, May 25th till now, it's been three months and one day. Uh, we're recording this on August 26th, and it's been a you know phenomenal ride. What we've accomplished in the last three months is we went from you know a company with with zero official employees to we're now 30 people. We have the top experts in mono and and crossplatform.net. Um, we've you know we've built a a presence for ourselves as a company. We've established this focus that we're going to focus on mobile apps for all the reasons that Miguel mentioned. Mobile's just such a giant market. Let's talk about the product. Is is it the product we know and love that we've been using all along, MonoTouch for Apple it products is. and Mono for Android? And right. So the the when when uh, Miguel and I joined forces um, here on Xamarin, the we knew that the big interest was around mobile. Yeah. And Miguel and his team had previously built these products, MonoTouch and Mono for Android at Novell. There's been a lot of interest and some amazing, amazing success stories of people building great apps with them. So we said, well, that's what we need to do. But um, though Mono is open source, those products are proprietary, and they were owned by Novell. So the, the key question was, how do we get these things back? And there were two choices. Uh, we could rewrite them from scratch, um, or we could acquire them from mm-hmm. Novell in some way. Uh, you know, We could come to an agreement with Novell that would allow us to use the intellectual property, mm-hmm. build on it, build a real company on it. And um, so we pursued both paths at once. Uh, we, 
we tasked Miguel's team with uh, rewriting from scratch these products in a clean room way, and at the same time, we started a conversation with Novell. And, and to everyone's great fortune, you know, the customers, Novell, ourselves, our employees, everyone's fortune, we came to a great agreement with Novell. And um, so that was July 18th that we announced that, about oh. five weeks ago, five or, I guess, six weeks now. Um, and the agreement was that Novell had, you know, thousands of customers who had bought Monotouch and Mono for Android and had, in addition to the money they spent buying the product, they had invested hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in some cases building incredible mobile apps on top of them. Mm-hmm. And so they needed a, you know, they, they needed a path forward. And Mono is also a key part of SUSE Linux, the uh, Linux distribution from Novell. And there is a number of customers who depend on Mono as a part of, of the Linux server. Huh. And... Um, so Novell needed a way to support them. So we came to a fantastic agreement with Novell where we said, hey, we need this code. So they licensed us the code. They gave us a phenomenal license to the MonoTouch and Mono for Android and, and all the Mono intellectual property. And in return, we're supporting the Novell customers. I see. And um, it's just a win-win. It's an amazing agreement, and it allows us to focus where we really want to focus, which is mobile app development. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. So you know all about the power of ASP.NET MVC, but you might be in need of some good tools to enhance your productivity. Well, our friends at Telerik just shipped the latest release of the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC, 18 jQuery-based native MVC extensions. Now you can enhance productivity by remaining in control of your views without having to write all HTML CSS, and JavaScript by hand. Did I mention that the Telerik MVC extensions are also free and open source? Plus, now you can check all MVC online demos in both ASPX and Razor views since the extensions offer full support for ASP.NET MVC 3 and the Razor view engine. Download your free copy today at Telerik.com slash free MVC. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So what about uh, Mono Develop, Mono Mac, some of those other Mono-related libraries? And what about Moonlight for that? It's surprisingly yeah. missing. And, and, and yeah. I wonder, is that because of what, what's going to be happening here at, uh, at Build? Something, you know? Right. So, there's a, there's a, so the, the Monaco system, of course, is, is very, very large. And uh, if you actually go to the GitHub page on Mono, you'll see that there's there's dozens of projects, uh, maybe 50 or so projects around the Mono ecosystem. And uh, some of those we contribute, you know, uh, the Novell have contributed to or third parties have contributed to. Um, we call those in general the Mono community. So the Mono community has been developing those pieces. Uh, Mono developed, um, well, let me take a step back. So as part of the product that we launch, uh, MonoTouch and MonoDroid, which are our, 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 our focus in the company, uh, we consume some of those open source technologies. We consume the Mono runtime. Uh, we consume all of the Mono compilers and libraries. Uh, we use the Mono Develop IDE and uh, and and other assorted components from the project and other projects. So uh, so since this is kind of the value that we bring to the table, we continue to maintain and develop uh, the Mono core itself. And uh, unlike our Products Mono continues to be open source, and we'll continue to make all of our improvements to Mono open source. Uh, we also consume Mono Develop, 
and uh, and we continue to contribute and maintain and 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 push Monodevelop forward. But none of these projects are really entirely done by us. It's uh, they're done by a larger a larger community of developers uh, improve this. So um, it's kind of a larger community effort of people working on different components. Uh, Mono, Monodevelop, and Monomac, all three of those are uh, parts of our offerings, of our commercial offerings, so we actively maintain those three. Um, so um, now, uh, as for Moonlight, it's a little bit of a, a Linux best of things. So development on it continues um, as the community sends us patches or we improve the Mono runtime. But, uh, but you know, we're, we're not right now focused on the Linux desktop. Uh, we're focused on the mobile space, mm. and, uh, and that's where all of our energies are. Um, certainly, we would like to use some pieces of it. I was just going to say, the reason is the mobile space is, is the giant space for software. Yeah. Right? I mean, 1.6 billion mobile phones shipped in 2010. And the, the rate of, of growth of mobile shipments is unbelievable. While I was traveling, I was really shocked to see the two things you see everywhere, doesn't matter where you go, are mobile phones and Facebook, <laughs> right? I mean, we would be in, like, the you know, di- very distant parts of Burma, and you know, you'd meet, like, a villager who lives in a house without running water or electricity, and he has a mobile phone and also a Facebook account. So, um, so you know, those things are just everywhere. And um, so we're moving to a world where most of the software that users actually see will be running on mobile devices. And significant new client software will be written on the mobile device first. And, um, you know, we can really credit... The, you know, the hardware manufacturers, the incredible advances in hardware for a lot of this. Uh, we can credit the network for this. We can credit Apple for, for really bringing the smartphone to consumers in a lot of ways. Um, but a lot of the focus has really been on that end-user experience and, and uh, on you know, dev- designing a great system for OEM. So if you look at Apple, Apple's built iOS for the end-user. And if you look at Google, an- Google has built Android for the OEM. And no one has really said, we're going to sit down and build an incredible uh, mobile platform for developers. Right? I mean, the mm. developer experience in the leading smartphone environments today is just not stellar. And that's where we're excited. We are really passionate about developers. We want developers to have the best tools possible. I would argue that developing for Windows Phone 7 is about as stellar as it gets. However, it's Windows Phone 7, and it doesn't have the market share. Well, I would agree with you. It's a great platform. But if you want to build an app that, that, that can reach 1.6 billion people a year, you're going to need to support more than that. And what's sure. great about our product is it allows you to use .NET, you know, the language you know, the skills you've developed, the code you've already written to run apps and to build apps on iOS, on Android. You can use the same Windows Phone app you've already written and port it very easily to these platforms and to take full advantage of the native capabilities on those platforms. See, I wonder if Moonlight couldn't be a key to that as well. The same way that they drag, that Microsoft drags Silverlight onto the phone. You know, if you guys implemented Moonlight against Android and iOS, then we'd actually have a common development environment for all three. Hmm. Well, yeah, I agree, but what, the one thing that you have to keep in mind, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is that these devices, I mean, we have to keep reminding these to our users. These devices are, they're fabulous devices, but they have memory constraints and CPU constraints, and, um, and you know, there's people still deploying stuff to iPhone 1 
generations, these things do not have that much memory, uh, and they're very underpowered devices. And we need to keep reminding, you know, uh, our users that uh, about these limitations. Uh, I mean, we had a guy saying, "I'm trying to download one. Uh, I'm trying to download 500 megs of data over a WCS service, and I run out of memory." And <laughs> you have to point them to the fact that uh, you know these devices don't have half a gig of memory. You can't. You definitely don't want to use XML to send uh, data and keep it in memory and and then, you know, apply, apply an XSLT transformation and return that, right? But, so, but, but you're Miguel Diacaza. You can fix it. <laughs> now, you can okay, do it, Miguel. Yeah, I know uh, you can. So what we've, what we've chosen is, uh, what we've chosen is instead of bringing Silverlight to the iPhone or Android, uh, because there are a couple of downsides. One, your application would look foreign on, on iPhone and Android. So your app is not going to look native. Uh, the second piece, and this is, uh, this is maybe our fault, is that the Moonlight runtime is a little bit large, so it would need to be optimized. So we would need to spend a lot of time optimizing uh, uh, Moonlight for mobile devices yeah. uh, to be suitable for use there. And instead what we've done is... Uh, and again, and the problem is that we're going to be in a position where we crack Microsoft. And I think that right now we're in a much better position. And let me tell you what it is. I think that Mono really shines with its own developer stack. Uh, so instead of following WinForms or following Moonlight, what we're doing now is we're giving you native APIs to iOS's fabulous and amazing um, uh, Cocoa Touch. So everything that you can use from Cocoa, from Cocoa Touch, you can use it from C Sharp. Yeah, uh, and we're doing the same thing with Android. Everything you can consume from Android APIs, we can give you. If we try to wrap these around uh, Silverlight, we would end up with a uh, with an abstraction layer. We would end up with extra code that you run. I think you would end up in a position where your app would be a little bit of a disadvantage versus other native apps. And you've been so, through this with Windows Forms, so you know. We've been, yes, we've been yeah. through that, and I I don't think it's impossible. I just think that. The opportunity right now is incredibly hot, and we want to make sure that people use .NET, even if it's not the UI pieces. Right. Um, and we want to. We think we can we can make a lot of people happier uh, by bringing them garbage collections, lambdas, asynchronous methods. Uh, you know the fabulous XML libraries and web services libraries, REST libraries, and so on that they can use with .NET, and it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to using Silverlight. Um, so, so that's but where you, we're at right now. You know, now. you're walking right a now, narrow we're... line here, Miguel, because you're introducing an abstraction to simplify programming at the same time saying we don't want to introduce too many abstractions to simplify programming. Oh, we're introducing, right. it's not an abstraction, it's, it's more powerful, right? It's a more powerful platform. You get strong typing, you get garbage collection, uh, you know, you get a real environment. Uh, Objective-C is really foreign to a lot of programmers. Yes. And you've got millions of .NET developers out there who want to get started now writing mobile apps, and they can do that with our tools. So it's more than that. It's familiarity, right? Um, it's, it's not, we don't think of it as an abstraction. We actually think the blended approach is good. We think write once, run anywhere perfectly as a unicorn. And what people really want is they want something that runs great everywhere. Um, so they're going to be able to share their back-end code, their business logic, their data structures, their you know, whatever back-end uh, network protocols or synchronization or whatever they're doing, they can share all that code, hmm. and then they can write a truly native user interface that feels like a you know it feels like a world class iOS app when you're running it on your iPad, and uh, then when you've got it on your black on your um, 
on your honeycomb tablet, you know, it works great there too, as opposed to something that just looks alien everywhere. So we think that's a really big advantage. So I guess so I guess the uh, the there's a real benefit here of having a company that stands behind a product that you actually pay for, and I see both Mono Touch and Mono started around uh, started at three ninety nine for a professional version, and then. I guess with uh, upgrades and uh, does support come with that three ninety nine version? Um, there's the it goes all the way up to fourteen ninety nine. We try to support everyone. Uh, you know our our view is we want to partner with you and make you into the world's most successful developer. So we try to give everybody support, and uh, we've got a bunch of just fantastic stories about you know, developers in our community. In fact, you guys should have some of them on your podcast. Absolutely, uh, sure. guys like Frank Kruger, um, who built this great app using Monotouch called iCircuit that runs on the iPad and the iPhone. He took uh, Spice, which is this circuit processing library, and built a front end for it on the iPhone. And it, was, it had been written, um, I believe, in, in Java. Is that right? Um, yeah, and so he built yeah. this, this app called iCircuit, and it was so popular, Apple actually ended up featuring it on the iPads in their stores. And nice. So Frank went from like lone developer to super successful app store developer using Monotouch in an incredibly short period of time. And Monotouch was a huge aid there for him. So that's, to us, that's what gets us excited. So we try to support everybody. We want more and more stories like that. Um, so yeah, our, prof- our professional version is 399 Our enterprise version is, 1000, is 999 And the difference is the enterprise version allows you to do you know, what Apple calls enterprise deployments. So if you want to have an internal-only app. You don't ship on an app store, but you manage deployments to you know, hundreds of devices. That's what the enterprise version is for. And then we have um, you know, the super premium version, which we call enterprise priority, which is $24.99. And that's for people who have to have the fastest possible turnaround on support issues. They get to go into like a priority queue. But we really, I mean, if I'm honest, we really support everyone as, as hard as we can. And actually, we have a little uh, special treat for .NET Rocks listeners. Love it. If you go to Xamarin.com slash .NET Rocks, spell it out, just like the website, you'll get a 20% discount on all our products. Nice. Awesome. Thought you'd like that. Yeah, that's great. So, guys, uh, if we're going to support all the platforms, can we expect a mono for BlackBerry sometime soon? (laughs) Well, I don't know that we are going to support every platform. Um, I mean, it would be a great scenario uh, to support every platform, but we want to make sure that every single one of our... uh, um, of our existing users has a perfect experience. So it goes also along with this overlay discussion, which is it's a matter of focus for us. So we want to make sure that what we have right now, uh, both on iOS and Android, is, is great. And we've heard from our users, uh, you know, well, every time you start using a product, people will say, wouldn't it be nice if you had this and that? So our first, our first milestone really is to is to satisfy every one of these, uh, uh, every one of these users, uh, make them feel loved, and uh, make them feel that they made the right choice by going with Monotouch. So we're improving those products, and our focus is really on improving iOS and Android right now. When we feel that we have the bandwidth and uh, the, per- the products are perfect and cannot be improved upon them, we'll probably start looking at, uh, at new platforms and uh, and when that happens, we'll, con- we'll see which platform is, uh, is just as popular as, uh, at that point. Do you find, are you dealing with issues of uh, uh, market fracturing around the Android products that a, a compile for one particular phone work, work on another phone? The, well, this is, uh, 
it's not really monos. What what happens really is that they they have multiple levels of APIs. Mm-hmm. So the old version, so phones that are out in the wild might support uh, the Android 1.6 profile, while newest phones have 3.3. Right. So right. as a developer, you need to choose the API level that you're going to target. Uh, if you and if you target 3.3, you will be able to use all the new features in 3.3 or 3.2, whatever it's called. Uh, but you won't be able to reach the other market. On the other hand, if you go to the 1.6 world, you can always uh, you will reach more people, but you won't be able to get advanced. You know, you consume some of the newest APIs. So that is something that uh, that is something that you as a developer have to deal with. And uh, and there's really no solution that we can offer to that problem. Uh, it happens to some extent on iOS, but for some reason. Uh, developers using iOS devices do not have. There's not as much difference between iOS devices as there is with uh, with Android. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4, or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only 6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. But we do hear some stories about Android, like just strange things changing between what manufacturers ship. Um, well, it's a jungle. Well, it's yeah, a jungle. I think it's the carriers. Some of them are things like people decide to mount the SD card in a different location for no reason. Uh, people swap out the media stack with a sure. completely different stack in some cases. It's the wild it's interesting west. Because most of our, you know, Monotouch was a product that was released before Mono for Android. Most of our sales are on Monotouch. And, um, but very recently, uh, downloads of the trial version of, for Mono for Android have really eclipsed our Monotouch downloads. So interest really mm. seems to be increasing in, in Android development at a pretty high rate. Yeah, and my concern here is that you compile for 1.6, but certain 1.6 phones don't work correctly because, and I find this generally the carriers have messed with the phone in some way. In some cases, that could be true. I mean, this is a, an advantage, though, to Mono for Android, is that you can rely on certain things to be there that are, you know, that come along with Mono. Right. Um, so <laughs> you can lean on the .NET class libraries to some extent. Well, here's here's a question for you. So let's say that I want to develop for Windows devices, uh, whatever they are, post-build devices, let's say, and also, um, you know, Android and iOS. And I have some code that, you know, uses the .NET framework to access, you know, REST services and things like that. I know that you can share this code between Mono and uh, iOS now. Is there any reason why you can't share that code between all three platforms? Not at all. I mean, you, you mean with Windows 7? Yes. No, no, not at all. Uh, in fact, some people are doing it. Um, that, is a, that is a little bit of the holy grail. We, we've been adding some APIs to make it easier to do that uh, with your business logic. So what we're pitching, basically, is you keep your business logic uh, to a, a subset of cross-platform, Monotouch, Monodroid, and Windows Phone 7, and, uh, and you do have to rewrite the pieces that interact natively with your with your device. So that's mm. typically the user interface, uh, sometimes the GPS or the accelerometer, they're slightly different 
the way that you that you store pictures or handle pictures is also different in each platform, and there is specific uh, approaches that each vendor has taken with each one of those. So you can keep your business logic, but you definitely have to rewrite everything that interfaces directly with the operating system. Um, at a deep level, like the user interface. Right, but if I've abstracted away all my communication and data layer and all that kind of stuff with standard plain old .NET uh, CLR stuff, I should be okay, right? right? And also, there's, a, there's also very large uh, developers that use OpenGL get to share uh, get to share 90, 95% of their code between iPhone and Android because both platforms have OpenGL. Um, I don't believe that Windows Phone 7 is going to be adding OpenGL in time soon, but right. at least for those guys, they get to they get to share a lot of their code between those two platforms. If you don't necessarily need all of OpenGL and you only want the you know the simplest uh, hardware accelerated uh, uh, triangle rendering for 2D surfaces, sort of uh, what. XNA used to offer when they only supported 2D APIs. Mm-hmm. There's an open source group out there that has built uh, a library they call Monogame. And Monogame lets you share the same code between Windows Phone 7, XNA, uh, on the Xbox, uh, Monogame on Linux, Monogame on Mac, uh, iPhone and Android. So this library that is laid on top of Mono will, will take your XNA code across all platforms. So that is a that is one instance where uh, where you get to share all of your UI code. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it is a very nice uh, it is a very nice project, and I believe that there's a there's a company that is adding 3D extensions to uh, that is adding 3D extensions to Monogain so that you'll also get some of the new benefits in in X and A. Um, and what is also very interesting is uh, the amount of uh, the amount of developers that are creating their own 3D abstraction layers. So there's a couple of other open source efforts out there, and even a commercial uh, engine called Delta Engine that does uh, that does this too. So one code base, multiple platforms for 3D gaming. Should we jump over to tablets for a little while? Uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I have obviously the iPad is the, the 800 pound gorilla in all of this and, and mono touch works just fine with that. Uh, we just had the rise and abrupt fall of the touchpad. Uh, what do you guys think is going to happen in this tablet space? Well, what we see happening is a lot of, a lot of people are, have been sort of waiting for a great Android tablet to come out that they feel can rival the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can give you an example without naming who they are of one customer of ours. It's an airline in Europe, and they had um, a, an application that they built for flight crews to use on laptops on Windows. They built it .NET, and their flight crew, their you know chief pilot and so forth, were demanding an iPad version of this app because uh, they didn't want to have to open a whole laptop, you know, in the cockpit. And cabin crews use it too, so you know the head steward or stewardess would use it too, and. Um, I guess they'd use it to, like, do flight planning in the case of the uh, pilot. And um, it also had a cabin crew feature where they can do things like see who has the most frequent flyer miles on the plane and mark unruly passengers and that sort of thing. So um, so they wanted this on the iPad, and the, the technical team was pushing back and saying, hey, you know, we don't want to lock ourselves into the iPad by writing this whole thing for the iPad. Plus, it's all written in .NET. If we can't reuse any of this code, it's going to be you know, pretty expensive to rewrite it all. So... 
um, they've been you know sort of holding out and waiting for a great Android tablet to come out so that they can sell a cross-platform story. Hmm. And with some of the recent um, uh, Samsung tablets, they felt like, okay, this is now, it's not quite there yet, but it's good enough that you know we believe we can make the case. And they recently decided to and went ahead and bought a bunch of developer seats of Monotouch and are now using Monotouch to write their app for the iPad, you know, essentially porting their code from the Windows app to the iPad, but without closing the door on Android. Nice. So that's kind of the way the market seems to look right now is that the iPad is just the clear winner with the users, um, but people think that could change, and they want to hedge against that to some extent. Well, and you're a private pilot, so you're well aware of Jepson and the, and the, uh, the digital flight bag. I'm a big ForeFlight fan. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with ForeFlight. It's like an amazing app. But yeah, Jepson's got a good one. But, the, but ForeFlight's this incredible iOS app that, um, that runs on your iPad or your iPhone. And uh, it's new. It's like two, well, Obviously, it's fairly new. They started on the iPhone. Uh, whereas Jepson's been around forever. Jep- yeah, well, Jepson's Boeing, right? Like they they are sort of the core of this. They just United Airlines just announced they're moving completely to electronic flight bags, and they're using iPads. It's amazing. It, <laughs> it's really incredible. It's absolutely so. shocking to me, but yeah, to actually see that kind of progress. But you know what does it? It's fuel costs. The Jepson flight bag is about fifty pounds, and they need two of them. And so you can't, the technology's not going to move the forward. The fact that they can save a hundred pounds of weight, it translates into hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of fuel well, over a year. There, there's that. And then there's also, you're looking at your chart and the airplane is sitting there on the chart <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you use your iPad. So you see where it is and that's really handy. Um, plus they're updated electronically. You're not having to open ring binders and insert new approach plates and that's well, and especially since that stuff, you know, Jepson Tepsley, the paper takes about two weeks to get out. So if you've actually got a major, you know, notice to airmen, you, you can miss it for quite a while. And the electronic version, you get it the moment it's been announced. It's really nice. And the user interfaces in these things are getting better and better. So, I mean, I really like it. I use my iPad and uh, for, flight, for flight planning. Well, I got a story for you. So in the studio, um, I have this problem where I play all these instruments and I can't play the instrument and record myself at the same time sometimes. So if I'm the only guy in the studio, I want to lay down a drum track. I got to go over to the computer. I got to set it up. I got to press record, run over to the drum set, put my headphones on, play the drum track. If I mess up, I want to go back. I got to put it down, run over to the computer. Same with the piano and same being in the vocal booth. So what I needed was a portable uh, tablet or something that runs VNC, so I could VNC over Wi-Fi into my computer and you know press the stop, record, re-record button, that kind of stuff. And um, I went on Newegg, and I just found that the cheapest, best bang for the buck was an Asus uh, EEE pad transformer, it's called. And it was about uh, 500 bucks. And, you know, it's got a nice, um, a nice 10-inch screen. And it works great. And I just was able to connect to the store and download a free uh, VNC client, connected right up, and, and that's the only thing I needed it for. And now I can just carry it around with me wherever I am, on the drums, at the piano, in the vocal booth. And when I had built the studio, I anticipated this, so I built long-running DVI cables into the wall and USB extenders and all that stuff because I envisioned putting computers on the wall with arms and all this stuff. 
and you know that was two thousand. That was only two thousand seven, where there wasn't really anything like that available. So there's my story. Amazing how things progress. So you know, it's not necessarily the the OS that I needed. I didn't really care about the OS. It was the application. It was well, VNC. When did, you, when did you purchase this computer? Uh, it was. Um, Let's see. I got it on Newegg just uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. So it's an incubator. Well, I think that I think that you and other and others like you need to need to talk to Apple and uh, and ask Apple to start selling the iPad in six packs because it seems to me that huh. the problem that you have at your place is you really seem to need one of these iPads on each device. You don't have to move it around. And I think that a six-pack would do wonders for the economy. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's really, that's the whole reason I got it, is so that I could pick it up and take it with me to whatever place I am. And that's really not a problem. I don't need to have it, you know, if I had one. I think you really need six. Yeah, I understand. I'm excited (laughs) this thought that the whole approach of using monotouch, mono for Android, this approach to development becomes a competitive advantage. That I've now minimized my app that's specific to the platform. So as these new tablets roll out, I'm quickest to market with the new version for the new tablet. Right, right, right. And uh, some of our users did that. Uh, one of our users went and built a game for the Nook, uh, for the Nook app store as soon as it, uh, as soon as it came out. Uh, he had the code there and uh, he put it right away and it became one of the top seller apps. What is it called? It's called, uh, it starts with an S. That, oh, I know who you're right talking now. about, Spawn. Uh, so Spawn, and he Spawn. Uh, he had written it for the I think the iPad originally, but he was able to bring it to the Nook very quickly because he'd done it with Monotouch. Nice. Yeah, that's the fast the fast migration thing is an interesting part of that, and I'm also curious. And that's why I pushed against it. This idea of being able to tolerate the fracturing of the Android market that your abstraction layer should make me a little more compatible. I'll have fewer problems as the Android continues to diversify. Right, plus you don't have to use Eclipse. Yes, well, but you should use MonoDevelop. Hmm. You can, or you can use a Visual Studio in the case of, um, in the case of Mono for Android. Right. Well, guys, um, I, know, I know you can't really mention what, uh, if you have any spectacular or stellar plans that are secret, and, you know, uh, but is there anything you can give us in terms of what we can expect in the future? Well, I think... Um, you know, our secret plan is to listen to the customers and do what they say. <laughs> so That's just crazy talk. Yeah. I, I know. We're old-fashioned. I mean, we actually believe that if we build a great product that people love using to develop mobile apps, that we're going to be successful. And um, that's our whole plan. Uh, so we've got, you know, uh, thousands of customers who are giving us feedback on where we need to improve. And uh, so we're making some big investments. And one of the areas that we've heard loud and clear is documentation. So we put together a real-world class documentation team mm. um, headed by uh, uh, a bunch of guys who wrote uh, you know, various books about Monotouch already. We went out and hired the people who had done the, really the best docs on Monotouch to date. And um, so they're going to be filling in our documentation. And then we're really focused on you know, just building an incredible experience for developers, uh, quality and that sort of thing. So for the next you know, three to six months... You know, there's no secret chess moves here. <laughs> it's really just about focusing on delivering a great product and great support. From Zimian to Novell to Zamarin, you guys rock. Keep doing what you do, and thank you from all of the listeners who can't personally thank you. This is your thank you. Thank you very 
Okay. Thanks for having us. And congratulations on your uh, on your wedding, Carl. Well, thank you very much. And uh, congratulations on Xamarin. Guys, thanks. It's been a great hour. We'll see you, listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Transmit a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a talk.